From the campaign trail to the studio, Wesley Hunt continues the fight. Along with his brother, Rendon, they chronicle their family experience from slavery to West Point in four generations. Tackling the difficult conversations facing our country, they're on a mission to preserve the American dream. Buckle up and welcome aboard. You're in the hunt. I'm Wesley Hunt. And I'm Rendon Hunt. And you're in the hunt. Greetings. Today we're going to be talking about a topic from a t-shirt that my mom used to put us in. Now my mom put us in a lot of stuff when we were growing up. <laughs> some of it was good. Some of it was. And some of it was bad. Yeah. Uh, remember the hammer pants I mom the, made? I remember the hammer pants and the, the jams. Like purple. The jams. Yeah. Shorts down to... Let's keep, to let's your, keep in mind. It was actually really cool at the time. It is. The hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah, know? but at the time, at the time, it was cool. it was the coolest thing I think I've ever worn in my life in yeah. that short time. Yeah, it was awesome because mom is a very gifted seamstress. Mm -hmm. So not only did she make all of our sisters prom dresses and and things of that sort, and prom dresses and other things for her friends as well, she also would take patterns and make different things for us: Halloween costumes. Yeah. Uh, Jams, the the shortened T-shirt combination. Yeah, a lot awesome. of hammer pants. <laughs> it was awesome that we really wanted. <laughs> I remember when we really wanted hammer pants? We were probably in the third grade. Yes. By the time we got to like the fifth grade, we didn't want to wear those hammer pants anymore. <laughs> hammer was no longer. But mom had worked very hard on those hammer pants, so we wore those hammer. So pants. they stayed in the rotation. <laughs> <laughs> you will wear those hammer pants. <laughs> yes. And there were. There were two shirts that we used to wear that I think a lot about. Uh, and of course, when I say two shirts, we're really talking about two times two shirts, so four shirts, because we were always dressed in the same thing. Yeah. But the two shirts, and we're going to be talking about one of them today, one of them, which we're not going to talk about today, but I'm sure we'll delve into in the, in the future, is the Black by Popular Demand shirt. Yeah, we'll not, save that one. Not back by popular demand, <laughs> black by popular demand. And it was normal for us to wear these shirts. We were in an all-white school with all-white administrators. And we were killing it in that school. We were doing well academically. We were doing well athletically. We were doing whatever student council was at that time. Church, real active in the church. And the bravado that we didn't even realize at the time, but the bravado to be some of the only black kids in the school and coming in with black by popular demand so shirts. It's the same bravado that gave you the impotence we wear in these pants right now. <laughs> <laughs> similar bravado. <laughs> it's similar. You take your mother for those jams for these pants. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads us directly to the second, sh the second shirt. Dare to be different. Mm -hmm. Dare to be different. And not only did we wear those shirts, but it was a bit of a mantra or a saying that happened in the Hunt household. Dare to be different. I think we were fortunate, and even when you talk about growing up in an environment where you're the only one of your ethnicity or the only one of your gender or the only one of your creed, we were really fortunate to grow up in that type of environment because 
we had to embrace who we were. We didn't have any other choice. Yes. So this idea of daring to be different and walking through doors that have not been walked through before, this is something that has really defined us in many ways, but it's opened up who we are. It's allowed us to share our lives with other people because we're not concerned with having to be in the status quo. I think that's a huge blessing it is. Um, because you and I never really felt like we had to identify with a specific group because everybody told us that we had to, because we were always different. And the idea of being comfortable with who you are, comfortable in your own skin. I think last week we talked about what self-esteem means. It's, it's the esteem of yourself and understanding and recognizing that is so important. And it, and it started at such a young age for us that by the time we got into our more formative years, it was like old hat. Yeah. You know, we looked different. We dressed differently from what the stereotypical, you know, black person or black man is supposed to dress like in school. We wore ties to school some days. Some days in middle school, I got made fun of it. I told my dad I'm getting made fun of because of this tie. My dad said— Put the tie on. Put the tie on. <laughs> Put the tie on. You're not going to not wear a tie because other people, you know, if you don't want to wear a tie because you don't want to wear a tie, well, that's one conversation, but you're not Sorry. going to succumb to peer pressure just because everybody else tells you what to do. And I thank God for that because you know, we wake up every day right now in this very contentious world where everyone tries to not just put other people in boxes, but now we have people putting themselves in these boxes. Yes. And whenever you put yourself in a box, you are confined, you, you confine your thoughts, your ideas, your identity, your ability to this one box, and you don't see anything else. No. And you can no longer dare to be different. Yes. I was thinking last night as I was watching the State of the Union speech. And <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> as I'm sorry as I was that. watching Uncle Sugar, I mean, I mean, President I mean, Biden, President giveaway free promise, stuff, promised the moon. I mean, <laughs> to everybody. It was like it was like Willy Wonka promising calorie-free chocolate to everybody. <laughs> it's like calorie free, everlasting gobstopper. Eat everything you want. You'll never get fat. You'll never. <laughs> like, how do you? How, what are the ingredients to this? How do you make this magical, like, this magical candy that you can eat whatever you want? Yeah. And and the reason I bring that up in terms of of dare to be different, and of course a a very a very brief uh, non sequitur comment on this. When I watched the speech, there were a couple of things that that bothered me. That always bother me. Typically, that comes out of out of the Democratic Party, and there's things that bother me about the Republican Party too. Yeah, but the two things that that really bothered me one is very little talk about accountability and and how we are going to pay for things, right? So that's one, and then it's linked to the second thing. And then when we do talk about how to pay for things, we demonize people who have been successful, right? <laughs> we tell people, we have a progressive tax system. Now, I worked as a financial advisor, okay? Yeah. Let me tell you what progressive tax system means. It means that the more money you make, there is a higher percentage of taxes that you pay. So wealthy people do pay a higher percentage of taxes 
than people who are not making as much money. Now, given that, I don't think that it's constructive when you're basically starting a class war in our country because you're blaming a group of people for not paying their fair share. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. If, if we really looked at it in terms of fair, equitable, we would say a flat tax makes sense. Everybody pays the same Rest percentage. Rest in peace, Herman Cain, nine, 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 nine. Everybody pays the same. Okay, okay fine, 10%. That's not how our tax system works. Yeah. If you're in the highest bracket, you pay 37%. The people in the lowest bracket aren't paying 37%. Used to be 39.7%. 10% of a million dollars is $100,000. 10% of $10,000 that year, you pay $1,000. So that's. And I don't have a problem with the progressive tax system because we have, we, we have been beneficiaries of a country that's allowed us to thrive. I don't have a problem with a progressive tax system. I have a problem with acting like a progressive tax system is some way a corporate Ponzi scheme where people are getting over. That's not true. Because that's just not true. <laughs> it's patently false. It's, it's just not true. And then the other piece that, that gets me is the idea from a business standpoint, demonizing businesses. Let me tell you something. Eventually, if you make it more difficult for businesses to conduct commerce in the United States and make them pay more to do it, Preach, eventually they're going to leave. And we can act like it's not going to happen. Look, we see it with girlfriends all the time, boyfriends all the time. Oh, I can treat them like this and they'll never leave. Yeah, never is a hard word to use. At some point, yeah. At some point, people have a breaking point. And even patriotic people have a breaking point mm -hmm. if they feel that they're in an environment where they're being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, and sorry, sorry for that going off topic a bit, the reason why I bring up the State of the Union speech and daring to be different, there's two things I noticed about the participants at the State of the Union speech. I was going to say something, but I'm not. Say it, please. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Please. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll, 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 I'll let you finish your thought. Go ahead. They were overwhelmingly white, yeah, and they what? were overwhelmingly old. old. Well, I, oh, then that's what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Which is nothing wrong with either. There's nothing wrong the with that. The operative where he says overwhelmingly. There, there's there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. If you want the same perspectives of people that are in the same demographic and look the same. Mm -hmm. If we're going to innovate for what the future of this country is going to be, and we're going to have people like Wesley Hunts of the world who dare to be different, where our leadership can look different and can have different experiences, that's the way, in my opinion, that we transition to the future. And it's the important, you know, the rebuttal last night that was given by Tim Scott was also, I thought it was actually superb. I thought he did a very good job. I think his tone was great. I yeah. think his message was, was actually spot on. And it's coming from a place that doesn't, from a person that doesn't look like what you would deem to be the status quo for the Republican Party. 
that's why his message was really important. What, is he, what because he's 5'10"? Because he, <laughs> he's black and, oh. and young. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh sorry. My, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, you didn't, I didn't you realize didn't that. Really? I don't see color. You don't see color. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody sees color. I don't see color. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be great. There was, uh, but he was, talked about how, how his message not just resonates with you know, the population that, 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 that stereotypically people believe the Republican Party caters to, but how it's beneficial to his story. Sure. It's fantastic. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. And I think we need more messengers, like, as you said, that are willing to dare to be different and do it and do it in a positive way and give it in a positive message. And I think to your, to your point about the messenger even mattering, it's part of the reason why, why our message resonates to, to so many people. Because I love when Tim Scott talks about, I'm a black man who's voted in the South. Like, don't lecture me oh, on on great, what this it? means. Look, yeah. And, and I feel the same way oftentimes. It's, it's the, you know, we say this tongue in cheek. It's the I don't see color thing. And I one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen, there was a, a speaker who was talking about, about color, uh, about race. And he said something that I think is just wonderful. He said, he's a black guy, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't tell me you don't see color. God didn't give me all of this wonderful melanin for you yeah. to ignore it. You don't have to recognize and appreciate it. For you to not, <laughs> for you to ignore it, right? And I, I, I think that was just an interesting take on it. That's funny. But I, I, I truly do believe that there's a perspective, and the speaker does matter, and the message does matter. And quite frankly, it's part of the reason why— there's a, an issue of consistency in a lot of leaders that we have. And look, this goes on the Republican and Democratic side, right? Mostly Democratic and side. There's a, ahead, yeah. <laughs> and there's what, a— What? 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 what, what. <laughs> and and the, issue, the issue of consistency, I think, is rooted in if, if on one end somebody like Joe Biden is going to— tout certain things that he's done from a legislative standpoint over the course of his career, if you're going to own that stuff, bro, you got to own, own the crime bill too. Okay. And it's, what's really hard about yeah. somebody, about a lot of our public figures. It's the hard thing about running on your past and your accomplishments is some of those are going to be good. And some of those are going to be bad, but look, man, if you're going to talk about, Hey, everything I, I, I did was great on this end. You, you have to embrace the whole story. Mm-hmm. And, and it was not too long ago where a moderate Democrat and moderate Republican did not look so different. No. It was in not fact, very that's long how we ago. Got, in fact, it was actually in 94. We were alive and well in the 94 crime bill that had its serious bipartisan support. Yeah. Was, but he was the co-author of it. It's not so long ago. So we have to be very careful about saying, oh, well, you know, back when I was in Congress, I hung the moon. Well, uh, well, back when you were in Congress, put a lot of black people in jail too. Yes, he did. He was so, and his legislation that he co-authored was literally responsible for that. And Renda, you and I talk about the past being the past, and people grow and people change, and but people own it. evolve. But own it. First. And by the way, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, own it first. Sir. But it, well, well, you have to own it, but then you also have to be fair. So if this were a Republican. That basically kind of came full circle, realized that maybe the 94 crime bill wasn't the best thing for black men in this country because because it absolutely wasn't. Um, 
okay, but that Republican gets canceled. Yeah. Joe Biden becomes the president. I mean, could you imagine the absolute vitriol in hell that a, that a Republican would have caught for the 94 crime bill today? Oh. Now, my argument is, is this. I'm not saying that Joe Biden shouldn't be president if you vote for him. That's what you want. That's okay. No. What I'm saying is, is that be just be consistent with that argument. Let's just be it's the same thing that we talk about with the economy. We have had this conversation many a time. If we're going to say and put a standard, hey, we're going to judge a president by the economy two years after he or she goes out of office. If that's what we're going to say, fine, then that's the standard. But on the Democratic and the Republican side, we can't say, oh, the only reason why, why Clinton had good, had good years was because of Reagan's economic policy. Well, the only reason why Reagan had good is because Jimmy Carter's economic policy. Like, you can't say that. Like, have a standard. Renan, you and I— Adhere to the standard and be consistent about it. You and I have agreed with this, and I think it's something that I, that I hope everybody listens to and thinks about. When you take office, it's yours. That's the standard. That's my standard, too. You bought it. Yeah. From this day on, what happens for the next four years— You put a ring on it. —is yours. I don't want to hear anything about the previous administration. I don't want to hear I, what I inherited, what I did for this, what I did for that. You know what? If you're going to give Joe Biden credit for giving, for, for giving 2,000 shots of the COVID vaccine, 200 million shots of the COVID vaccine to American citizens— Those didn't come from nowhere. Well, well, it came from warp speed from the Trump administration. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what? You know what? He's gone. If I'm going to give you, I will give you credit for those 200 million shots. Okay. Yeah. But I'm also going to give you credit <laughs> for when for, for the high the high taxes yeah. that we're that we're, we're going to start Absolutely. paying. I'm also going to start giving you credit for the border last year. We weren't having all these issues, so you're going to own this one, too, yeah. and you don't get to pass the buck on anybody else. Yeah. You're going to take the good with the bad Absolutely. from the day you take office. And that is leadership. And I'll be the first person to say, I've been looking at a lot of the, the polls on Biden's handling of COVID, and it's fascinating, right? Because Democrat, he has like a 92, 93% approval for his handling of, of COVID, independence at 60-some percent. Uh, Republicans, it's like 30 percent. And I'm like, <laughs> no. where, where is it? Because to your point, do I think getting shots in arms and meeting the the objectives that we had in the first hundred days early? Yeah, I think that's awesome. Doesn't mean I agree with every policy and all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I think that's awesome. Like the handling of that. Great. I think Tim Scott out, outlined a whole lot of things, too, from the standpoint of, man, we got to make sure our schools are open and we have to make sure that from the standpoint of what we're funding for businesses, keeping things up and going. Yeah, I think he's got some good points there. But the idea that just because it's Biden and we have shots in arms, to your point about being consistency, consistent, if President Trump were president and we had almost 60% of people who have gotten the first shot of the vaccine, we'd be like, yeah, well, that's success. Well, either it's success or it's not. Mm -hmm. And for consistency's sake, I'm... I'm happy with the direction that this and is And it's going. not success because I don't like the person yeah. or because I'm in a different party. It's either success or, or it's not or success. Or it's not. I'll give you another example of this. And this is always pertinent when the, the State of the Union speech comes up. Every single State of the Union speech that's ever been written is a good speech. Mm -hmm. I'm just do, surprised Joe Biden made it all the way through. Do you, <laughs> he's struggling on it. Okay. I mean, he was running some words together for started sure. Off, it's, he started off hot. Ooh, he's getting tired. Toward the end there. <laughs> I, yeah. was like, I don't know. Yeah, he's getting tired at the end. Uh, 
every single speech for the State of Union that's been written, and I've been a part of that process of trying to submit information to the administration to get them to include your one line in the speech. Mm -hmm. And man, it's crazy. I mean, the hundreds of man hours and women hours that go into that. Isn't that interesting? Like, I don't mean anything by saying man hours, but in our culture now, I have to say man or woman hours. Hours. Like, it's the the hundreds of hours that that go into this, okay? And the interesting thing that you see is all of these speeches are very good because some of the best and most gifted speech writers in the world are writing these speeches. The speech being good in terms of what's being read on paper or sometimes ad-libbed a bit because we know, you know, Joe, Joe did ad-lib a bit there. You know, he, he didn't read directly from the paper. At, l- the, at least we didn't hear about Corn Pop. Yeah, hey, man, Corn Pop's a bad dude. <laughs> but... The, the, you, you ran the, with bad boys. You ran with bad boys. <laughs> the speech in its substance, it, I mean, the way that the words are crafted, the message of crafting is very good. And that's why it's always funny to me whenever I hear people say, oh, this speech was so bad. And I'm always like, you think you can write that? You know, I, I mean, I, I, dis- I disagree with I the I can disagree it, with the but... policy with some of, and not even all the policy pieces, some of the policy pieces. Yeah. Uh, but but in the substance in of it. In this case, most of the policy yeah, pieces. In the substance of it. The, the speech oh, the policy. Yeah. I'm just kidding. No, yeah, but, but here's, no. And here's even the crazy thing about from a policy perspective. I think it's very easy to cherry pick things that we collectively think are good because as Americans, we are more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. We want to be safe and we want to be protected. Mm-hmm. We want to have great education for our children. We want to have health care that's affordable and defective. Mm-hmm. Like in the grand scheme of things, these are a lot of the things that 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 we all want. The methods in which we get them and the bridges that we choose to build or not build, that's where this becomes interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think Tim Scott was speaking to. It's the idea of are we going to take this to be an opportunity to be divisive or are we going to take this to be an opportunity to bring people together? And there's two things that I am concerned about right now. I think that we are flaming the fires of a race war in our country, Mm -hmm. and we are flaming the fires of a class war in our country. Mm. And both of those, I don't think we need to be doing that, and I don't think that the long-term ramifications are positive for us if we continue to do that. And so this is something that we talk about often. This is what I when I get a lot of people, and that's I get asked a lot. You know, what are my feelings and thoughts on what's happening in race in America right now? And you know, over the course of the last few years, all I've done was talk to people in the greater Houston area. That's all I did was shake hands and meet people and literally talk day in and day out to citizens and to people in this city. That wasn't all, all you did. I'm seeing that waistline to chest ratio. Yeah, you know. Well, that wasn't all you did. I was pumping some iron. That wasn't all you did. I was pumping. You, you saw yourself short a little I, bit. I was pumping a little iron. Yeah. 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 That's not now, all you did. Every now and again. Is that it? <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, literally, I, I find out, and I said, I've said this before, I found myself so many times in a room filled with enti- all white people. Um, I just came from lunch with uh, Jimmy Pappas. Jimmy Pappas is is the mayor <laughs> of Hunters Creek in the Memorial Villages, okay? 
He is a larger, literally a larger than life character. <laughs> Big guy <laughs> calls his body a Ferrari, and he said he needs 93 octane to feed this Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> he's a character, so he's not a vegan. <laughs> v- no. Vegan is that that that, that that 89 that 89 Jimmy gas. Pappas. Jimmy Pappas is That's not the one a- I put in my Nissan Rogue. <laughs> yeah, it's not that no, octane. He's not that octane. <laughs> Larger than life guy, A and M, A and M grad. Um, he staunch Republican, obviously, and he gave me an event at his house a few months back. I actually just told him about this, and I, I remember walking in his house, and it is packed. This was, it was actually pre-COVID too, so mm-hmm. it's actually still during the primaries in Memorial Villages area. And I walked into his house, packed. I was only a black person in the room, mm-hmm. and when he introduced me, the first thing that he said was. This young man served our country, and he believes in it. The second thing that he said is, I'm so glad that somebody like him is willing to continue to serve this country. And the third thing he said was, everybody in this room better vote for this guy. Hmm. Do you know what he didn't mention? What I look like. Yeah. Do you know everybody that was there didn't care about? What I looked like. Now— did they see color? Back to your, <laughs> I'm colorblind. I don't, I, don't see see color. any, I don't see color. I don't see color. That's not true because you do. Yeah. The issue is not what you see or what you perceive. The issue is how you behave toward it. Absolutely. And so, and to some extent, the ability to overcome your previously held biases. And that's okay if you have previously held biases, Rendon. We aren't perfect. We're human beings. Yeah. So how you overcome that, then how you treat that person subsequently is far more important than what the initial perception was. What did I always tell you? I, I always used to really enjoy introducing you on the campaign trail, partially because I got to hear myself talk. Yeah, we all know you love that. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that it, it, it was a, it was a frustration. Somebody talks way more than me. Way more, way more. <laughs> Uh, it was a frustration that I that I had, and it was something that I really had to overcome throughout this process because this was an emotional process for you, but it's an emotional process for me too. And I think it was an emotional process. It's easier for me to go through something than for me to almost live vicariously. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says something insulting about me. I actually don't have a problem with that. I, I can get over that. Yeah. Like if somebody says something insulting about me, I'm probably like, I, I probably did something to earn that. If somebody says something insulting about uh, those that I love, I get I get very upset about that. That that bothers me. Yeah, partic- particularly the video that got released of my my mutual friend of ours. Oh man, yeah. That, <laughs> I've never seen you more upset. That's I mean that stuff bothers me. Yeah, and it, I, could, I know it. It, cut, does. it, 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 it cuts, would be the same for me. It cuts deeper than if it had happened. It didn't, it didn't bother me, but it but it bothered it bothered you yes. a lot. Yes. And one of the things that I really thought was interesting on the campaign trail when you take, talk about perceptions of people, and this really dovetails into the idea of daring to be different. It would kill me when people, first of all, how how ill researched people are. I mean, people would be at your event and would even be at events and are, are asking me about your bio. And I'm like, you're at somebody's event? You haven't even Googled them? Like, what? what's that all about? Yeah. But some of the questions that would come up were just fascinating to me because it's like, 
well, you know, why, why does this person think that, that, that he can lead or, or what has he done, blah, 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 or, or what's his level of understanding? And the irony that I always saw in that is they see a well-built black guy and the assumption I prefer the word medium, medium sized black man. You're not medium. <laughs> Your well, shirts well, my shirts are medium. Are, say, <laughs> but you, <laughs> sir, are not medium. <laughs> yeah. They they see a well built black guy and, and for some of these people, because you are a one of a kind, for some of these people, the synapses haven't even gone across for them to say Wait a minute, maybe this guy is really smart. Oh, yeah. So I would give feedback, and I even would speak to your, your campaign people. Oh, my gosh, some of these people think, think Wesley's just a suit. And I'm like, so the, so the, the three degrees from Cornell <laughs> and the degree from West Point, and you're telling me you think this guy is a suit? Yeah. Do you think those things are academically easy? Yeah. And even beyond that. Do you think you could do it? Do you think the average person can do it? And this goes back. I've been around people that are way above average my whole life. The average person can't do that. Yeah. And 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 that's where we sometimes we have these perceptions that might be wrong. Right. That's that's what we were talking about earlier about boxes. Those people put me in a box. It was not a medium box. It was not a medium. <laughs> <laughs> they put me in a box as oftentimes we put ourselves in boxes. Now, here's the beauty of this. Somebody else can put you in a box, and that's fine. What's worse is putting yourself in a box. Ooh. That's where it gets dangerous. You see, somebody else can put you in a box. You can get out of that box. Yeah. You can perform your way out of that box. You can't perform your way out of the own box you put over yourself. Yes. Yes. And I think over time, throughout the campaign, the same people that said, you're, you're an empty suit— we're also the same ones that were very, very ardent supporters of the campaign as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very strong supporters. And you're right. Initially, that was the case. But imagine if they had said, you're, 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 you're he's just, a, he's an empty suit or just a suit or whatever the case might be. And I believe that. Oh, man. You would have never gotten out of that. Well, hell, I'd, I'd never, you would have never run for office. I would have, ne- I'd have quit. You would have never run for office. And there's a, a piece of this. It's the word that's that's extremely important that I don't think we assess enough emphasis when we talk about what guides our behavior. Mm-hmm. Mentality. Mentality. We see it in the black community, the slave mentality, mm-hmm. the mentality to build and develop for somebody else without building and developing for yourself. Mm-hmm. I heard a statistic the other day that I thought was, was fascinating. And it talked about, I believe it was, it was two, $2 trillion, the output of black-owned business and black enterprise within this country. $2 trillion, something, something to that effect. The top-line numbers matter less than the percentage. Of all of that money the amount of it that flows back through the black community was less than 3%. Wow. I consider that to be slave mentality. Mm-hmm. 
that's a mentality where I can build and grow and develop for someone else, but I don't have the mentality to do that for me and mine. The victim mentality. So the idea of Major League Baseball dumping $100 million in one week into a predominantly black-owned business community And black people take that away from other black people. Yeah. Excuse me? Because why? Voting laws? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The only thing you just did was crush your own community. Yeah. It took $100 million that was going to go to Atlanta and shipped it to a white city. Yeah. And that's your fault. And by the way, I don't want to hear it. Like, stop it. Don't blame anybody else. Uh, it's the governor's fault for these election laws because we want to be woke. And whoa, 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 whoa. Do you want the game there or not? Do you want the $100 million or not? If you want economic prosperity from that event and from that game, well, that's fantastic. And, not or, and if you don't like the, the, the laws that are, that are being put forward, then figure out how to combat that, too, by fighting better candidates, again, people that you want to see in office elected. But don't conflate the two. And it's consistency. Random. And don't be the victim. Figure out a way. If you don't like the person who's in Congress, hell, go run against them. Vote him out. I'm not uh, vote him out. Go run. I'm not. Nobody's stopping you from from doing this. I'll never forget. And it's one of the best lessons that I ever learned from Mike Wentz, my roommate, while I was in San Diego. Mike is a reserve Navy SEAL right now, and his road to get to buds and become a Navy SEAL was just absolutely incredible. And I lived with him through this entire time. It includes a back surgery. It includes getting turned down from buds twice. The grit that this guy had, his dad was a Vietnam era SEAL, and that was his lifelong goal to become a SEAL. He didn't get it out of the Naval Academy, ended up having to go through the SWO community in order to get there. And Mike is an accountability guy, big time. You don't become a Navy SEAL without being an accountability guy, okay? On our ship, we had a, a couple of sailors who were talking about how nice it must be to be an officer on the ship. It must be nice to be an officer. It must be nice. must be nice. And that was almost this ongoing mantra on the ship. And kind of to what we talked about before, I was there when Mike had his breaking point when one of these sailors told him that. <laughs> I was there when he snapped. Mm -hmm. It was a bad day for him. Things were not going well. We had been up quite late. Mm -hmm. Mission stuff. Yeah, well, after this, you get to go to the wardroom. Must be nice to be an officer. Mike turned around and said, do you want to be an officer? Uh, 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 uh. Do you think you could get into the Naval Academy? Uh, uh, do you think that if you did get into the Naval Academy that you could graduate? Uh, do you think that you can go through the training and schooling that I've gone through to get to this point? Uh, do you think you could lead better than I'm leading right now? 
it's not must be nice. And by the way, by the way, OCS starts every two weeks. And then that's what he said. He said, if you think you can do all those things, I will be the first person to help you get there. But, but don't don't complain about it. But until you're willing to do that, I don't want to hear must be nice again from you. Did you hear it again? Hell, I didn't even say it again after that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That was like the moment I knew. I'm like, yeah, this guy's going to be a SEAL. Yeah. <laughs> he had talked about it a lot. And that was the moment I knew, like, yeah, this, this guy's going to be a SEAL. So last, the last night when, uh, when uh, President Uncle Sugar, I mean President Biden last night. Um, Willy Wonka. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. This free, free sunrise. Stuff. Free candy. It's for everywhere. It's just free. Everything's free. <laughs> <laughs> crazy sprinkle it with yeah, taxes that's great that's good <laughs> the candy man can that's good um they, they talked about how basically basically they're, they're attacking ceos now now i, I don't i i hate that and, and i hate attacking starting. ceo comp i hate attacking how much ceos make because because this goes exactly uh, to the point that you just made mm. do you know how hard it is to become a mm. ceo of a fortune 500 company okay mm. and then on top of that do you have any idea how much stress and pressure and how much money and assets that they have to manage and one decision one decision can literally cost the entire company everything yeah. And they make a mere fraction of what the cost of those decisions would be for these companies. CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are like NBA players. They're, they're like, it's a free market. If you have the talent, the ability, the hard work, the grit to be there to become a professional athlete, you get paid accordingly. Do you know how many Fortune 500 CEOs there are in the world? 500. 500 of them. <laughs> Pretty hard to become one of those. Very difficult to do that. You know how many business people are in the world? Billions. Yeah. Gazillions. People in right. A lot. <laughs> right. How many business people? A lot. A lot. <laughs> how many business you got? A lot. <laughs> A ton. So yeah. the reason why they make that much money is because that's there's only a handful of people in the world that can actually do that job. And, 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 you're, and you're in search. And so when you take that very small number and put it over a very big number, then, then that means that person is very rare. The market demands it. Now, whenever you talk about big numbers right now, it used to be like, especially when it comes to our deficit, like millions were a lot and then billions were a lot. And then now we're throwing around trillion like it's like it's nothing. One million dollars. And, and you know what I don't want to introduce Democrats to? Hmm. The next number bigger than a trillion. <laughs> because they're just going to take that one and just sprinkle it with dew. Oh okay. man. <laughs> Sorry. As, as I as I was more tax as I digress. But back to the point of CEOs. It's not all about money either, right? It's not all about like, money. Like like I mean there 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 are people in this world who do things for the meaning of what they do. Says the guys who got our education paid for by serving in the military. Yes. Okay. And and I and I just you know one of the things I, I texted you last night is is we continue to track these numbers for a class war. That's why we're tracking. Oh my gosh, CEOs now make like three hundred times what More the, than what the, the average, average employee. Per, average. We track these so that we can have a class war, so that then people hate the CEOs and hate the leadership team when when those people are bearing the brunt of the the decisions that they have to make. But at the same time, I mean, I'm not bitching that 
LeBron James makes a gazillion times more than the best high school basketball player on a state championship team. We found out what number is bigger than trillion. A gazillion. A gazillion. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like, like that's like, yeah. that's but what, that's that's what the market bears. And this is really the way I feel. And I've had a, a lot of my friends have had this conversation so many times. This is the way that I feel about the NCAA and paying players. The NCAA has a market, okay? The currency in which they have this market is they pay you in college tuition. Yes. Which I think is very valuable. And and if you are good enough, one of the few who are good enough. Top 1%. Then they are offering you the exposure to get the opportunity to make how many X times the average college player makes. Brendan. Because that's the market. It's consistent here. If you don't like that market, then go call the balls and start big baller league, whatever, and try to compete with the NCAA. Their, their market and what they pay in is tuition. Or do what LaMelo did. Go play overseas. He never played in college. And he get drafted number two in the NBA draft. And, and, and before, before his injury, would have been rookie of the year. Yeah, he actually still might. I don't know, but yeah. that's the, that's the kind of season he was having. He, he he was having. That's called personal responsibility. Yeah, I'm not passing a buck. I'm not blaming anybody else. Fine. I don't like this system, but I'm this good. Yeah. So I'm going to go play in Lithuania. I'm going to go change the system, and then Australia. I'm going to change the system. I don't like you. You're saying that I have to go to college for one year before I play in it. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go do something else. Do you know what he was doing in that situation? He was daring to be different. Yeah. That's the only way that you get change in this world is by daring to be different. Excellent. And that's one of the things that you see with, with a lot of these situations. For every Reggie Bush or Matt Leinart, I mean, how do you even assess the amount of money you would pay to players? Like the punter. Like, how do you, well, if you win a national championship, you get more money. So how is this not a, a, a scheme where then the universities who are always winning are going to still always get the best players because then they get a larger buyout from the revenue that the, so how is it not? How do you even do this? Because, like, this, this reminds me of the reparations argument. <laughs> reminds me. Yeah. It's, it's actually the same. I, I went there, yeah, right? It's the same argument. It's this whole idea, oh, there's a case for reparations and we need, well, I mean, there are reparations that are going on in our society right now. Yes. What President Biden was talking about, more funding for historically black colleges and universities. Reparations. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. And I agree. More. Do it. Started with President Trump, actually. Great. Yes. Great. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Started. Yes. Not to mention uh, public schools in, in, in universities. Yes. Upping the amount of minorities that they take in. Great. These are a form of reparations. This is an opportunity to... To get people to progress to the next level. But how do we really assess? Oh, well, I, I just want I just want to check from the government. I mean, so so explain how do we do this with my wife, right? Who's who's half black and half Mexican. Does she get half of she gets half a check? She get half of the check? She gets half a check. And then like in Native American communities, like depending on the tribe, then I mean, golly, have you seen this? Have you seen the Department of Commerce's census report? But Rendon, we Rendon. can't even count the amount of people that are in our country. Rendon, so and about, you expect us to be able to allocate resources Rendon, in that what way? About, what about the black people that are like a hundred percent black, 
but they're already wealthy. Well, they don't get a check. Why don't why, why Rendon? They're black. Why wouldn't they get a check too? Because their tax rate is is higher. What? Not <laughs> That's not. But yeah. you see the rabbit hole we go down. Oh, how do you decide who gets that? Who? How do you decide who did what more? Who suffered more? It's an. This this is an impossible conundrum to solve. It, so just stop it. And not even how do you decide? Why would we even waste our time trying to litigate this? Like rather than spending that time and bandwidth. <laughs> Like, like figuring out how the stock market works. Yeah. <laughs> or like investing or, or or studying to get some of these opportunities that are going to be offered to you to get into school. You're sitting around worried about Uncle Sugar giving you a check just because you're black. You know what it's like? I had a buddy and when I was on, on my second ship, we used to play spades a lot on the mess decks. And it was awesome because not many of the officers played spades on the mess decks. You know I did. Yes. And you know I was playing for money. Were you Trump tight? And you know I was winning. I was Trump tight, man. Trump tight. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you know. Are we talking joker, joker? You ain't joker, joker, joker deuce? deuce? Yeah, joker, yeah. Because, you, you know, you, you can't see my hand. I got no spades. <laughs> I mean, man. So I would play spades on, on the mess decks quite a bit. And there were two sailors. And I had a, a, a sailor that I, that I typically played with. And there were two two sailors that were always winning. And I mean, and they were really good. They were like like as good as we are at spades. Like we are very good at spades together. because we it, like we can play together. We've played hundreds of hands. Hundreds of hours of, of, yeah. of, of spades together, yes. right? So when you know your partner and you know what they're gonna do, you know if they're saying, How many do you see? Four? He sees three. See? <laughs> we're, going, we're going seven. Are you, are How do you, you know that? How do you know that? I, I, we're going seven. We're going seven. Okay. <laughs> uh, so these guys were 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 very good. They were they were tantamount to what we are in spades. And I'm watching these guys play, and eventually I started picking up their tips. Man, they were cheating. Uh huh. Okay. And at the at the end of my time on this ship, and I would still play them because I'm competitive, and like we're just trying to win anyway. But I knew they were cheating, and I and I didn't even call it out because I'm like, I wonder if we can beat them while they're cheating. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of one of those things. And eventually, when I was leaving the ship, I said, "Hey, man, you know, I picked up you guys' tips. I know that you guys were cheating." And they're like, "Oh, man, sir, how did you know?" Blah 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 blah. And I was like, how long did it take you guys to, to figure out? Because, I mean, it was pretty, pretty intricate, like tap, tap, like, you know, like, so, oh, man, it took us a while to get that together. <laughs> and you know what I thought? It's like, if you'd have taken the time <laughs> to just <laughs> to just understand and delve into the game of spades that you took to cheat, you probably would have been just as good. good or better, if not better, if not better. Right. And, and, and that's what I think about in our in our society so much. If we would take the time and resources that we that we think that we take trying to figure out how to short circuit the system mm-hmm. to actually improve the system and make it better mm-hmm. where would we be that's exactly if we spent the time that we take to make excuses on why things couldn't be a certain way or why things aren't a certain or why way. things are and just with all the fervor in us pursued making them better together how much better would we be together around it that's a dangerous person who figures that out. Mm-hmm. That's right. It is dangerous. Ice. Man. <laughs> <laughs>
we were going Mach 3. We wasn't driving a Mach 3. You were shaving with the Rock 3. That's right. If you're shaving with the Mach 3, you can't think if you think you're dead. By the way, I cannot wait to watch the new one. The new oh. Top Gun. When that comes out, I, I can't way, wait. Have you watched a new Coming to America? No. So I can't. You should? I can't. I think you should. Just because I can. Doesn't mean. <laughs> like, I, that's one of those movies, and I asked you before. I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin the original. And I don't think you will. Yeah. And and I asked you before, I mean, Wesley, this is this is not, you know, Matrix 3. <laughs> okay. I mean, Matrix re-re-reloaded. <laughs> okay. But we were talking about this before, about watching Mortal Kombat. I'd ask you if you watched that. And, uh, I want to watch that. You 100%. hadn't seen it yet. I mean, I watched Mortal Kombat. A lot of this is expectation management. A lot of people would ask me and my buddy Brandon. He asked me if I watched him. Like, of course, I, I saw Mortal Kombat. What would you think? I thought it was good because I wasn't expecting a good movie. Because the first one was... It was, it was awful. It was, it was bad. It was awful. It was but, bad. but as time goes on, I expected there was going to be some fight scenes. Mm-hmm. I expected there was going to be pretty decent special effects. Mm-hmm. I expected the story to be fundamentally flawed. I expect. I mean, it's Mortal Kombat, right? It's, of, course, I mean, of course, it is. It's a stupid premise, <laughs> right? Like, like if I if I were to tell you, sir, hey Wesley, I got this story idea. Oh, really? Like, 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 yeah, Rendon. Like, what's your story idea? There's these other realms. Okay. Bear with me. They're realms with different types of people that live on them, and there's this tournament. And it happens like every so often, and people that have tattoos are actually chosen to fight in this tournament. Okay. Earth is one of the realms. Okay. If Earth loses this tournament, they'll become slaves to this guy that sucks your soul out, and it comes out as this green aura. <laughs> okay, I got it. And then, okay, and then he's going to run it. That's enough. That's if enough. I told you that was a story, you'd be like, Man, you need to stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Too much meat, old friend. Too much meat, old friend. Yeah. So, given the story and given where 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 it was, I thought it was a, a decent a decent movie. It was what I expected. It's it's you whenever you tell me to watch another John Wick movie. I love I love John Wick movies, man. If you're watching John Wick for the plot, no, you only watch John Wick because it's amazing. <laughs> it's like that's in my top five. <laughs> All of them. What are your top five movies? John, John Wick, Wick 1, John, John Wick 2, John Wick 3, <laughs> The Matrix, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, so you say you like Keanu Reeves, huh? <laughs> but again, everybody that we were talking about right now, even like Keanu Reeves and all these people, they've, they've just, you're right to your point of like daring to be different. And this is kind of what got me down a little bit last week about LeBron James, because LeBron James is obviously different. Oh, yeah. But at times, I feel like he doesn't want to thank for himself. Hmm. And, you know, in this in the shooting that we saw, you know, last week of the uh, of the 16 year old uh, black young lady, tragic. But she was getting ready to stab someone with a knife. Yeah. (laughs) And the cop had 19 seconds from the time he pulled up to the time he was pulling the trigger to save the life of another black person. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
God Roger, forbid we're ever in that situation. God forbid. Or anybody is and ever Rena, in that and, situation. And look, look, a lot of cops don't get it right. I, I, no. I'm not arguing that's a lot. Some, not even a lot. Some don't get it right. Yeah. I recognize that some don't get it right. But don't begrudge the ones that do. Yeah. And I think it's important as well on the LeBron James topic. This goes back to what we were saying about people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron James made, James made a mistake. I think, I think LeBron James as a role model and father figure mm-hmm. and the way that he's conducted himself in many ways, I, I, I have a lot of a lot of remarkable. a lot of respect for you. Him. Don't hear any drama from him. You don't hear any scandal. You don't I, hear any of that from when him. When you've been with your high school sweetheart Brandon, for that long, uh, you don't hey, hear near a thing about any anything. I mean, this guy is is squeaky he's clean. He's done the right thing. He's done the, he's right, done thing. the right thing. And and I have a whole lot of respect for that. Mm-hmm. And this was wrong what he did. Flat out. Because and not only was it wrong and preventable, it was preventable. It's, too. Ir- it's irresponsible too, mm-hmm. because it's a lack of understanding of the shadow that he casts on culture more broadly, of the on the world, on the world. And I would hope to what we were talking about in terms of learning. I would hope that he learns from this. He took the tweet down, and and the damage is the damage is certainly yeah. done. But once again, I'll be consistent with this. For LeBron James or anybody else, like I hope that he learns from this. Me too. And I hope that 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 he is more responsible with his platform moving forward. Moving forward. I agree. So, again, great topic. Good talk as always. It's a pleasure. Why don't you go ahead and take us out, man? Smiles are contagious, so make someone's day and dare to be different today. Thank you. God bless.